we have standing by Steve Samara, uh, who is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Telephone Association. I think just to set uh, Steve up and uh, let him introduce himself a little bit more about himself and uh, about the Pennsylvania Telephone Association is, I think uh, folks may know, uh, but the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber is a retention and expansion chamber. We are almost entirely focused on keeping the businesses we have and growing the ones we have here. How does that fit into this conversation, you might be thinking? How that fits is we we find that uh, when we, we're working on this uh, urgency, as we call it, on broadband and high-speed Internet, uh, we find that when we work with our existing cable companies, our existing telephone companies, our uh, IS, uh, ISPs, uh, Internet Service Providers, uh, when we work with them, we really hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, and uh, what I'd like for Steve to talk about a little bit is who are those players uh, in the greater Susquehanna Valley? Who are they statewide? And what's coming up uh, where we can work with them and really support an expansion of rural broadband and high-speed Internet? So, Steve, I'll let you take it from there. Hey, thanks very much. Good morning, fellas. Uh, happy to be with you on uh, April Fool's Day. Uh, but a little bit about uh, the Telephone Association. We do represent all of the RLEX. There's a lot of acronyms in this industry, but RLEX is a rural local exchange carrier. It's your traditional landline phone company that you're familiar with. It's been around for 100 years in some cases. So those, those companies range in size from a couple hundred customers to several hundred thousand. Um, they're scattered across the state, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, and so we got uh, we got a wide variety of folks that uh, that are involved in the Pennsylvania Telephone Association, and uh, they are all unique in their own way. But the one thing they well, several things they have in common. But one is, um, I think listeners might be interested in this, is they all adhere to a state law passed back in 2004, um, which required all of these companies to build a network that had broadband available to it uh, within 10 business days of a request. And uh, we lose sight of that fact as we're talking about broadband. Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of money coming down. We can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, there's lots of new and shiny and other alternative providers coming out there. It's a very competitive environment. Uh, but my member companies are the only ones that had to adhere to that uh, mandatory broadband deployment. And uh, I can already hear the snickers uh, over the phone lines uh, and out in the ether, but back in 2004, broadband was 1.544 megabits because that was digital subscriber line service, and that was uh, kind of the best you were going to get. Uh, now, obviously, we have uh, fiber optic cable and all kinds of things that will, will give you uh, uh, faster speeds, and my member companies have gone far beyond that 1.544 megabit requirement in uh, wide swaths of the state. Uh, and continue to build at higher and higher speeds as uh, as customer demand customer demand comes about. But uh, those are my guys. Those are the rural local exchange carriers that uh, that serve the various parts of of the Commonwealth, and uh, they are are Lex for a reason. They've been given that designation because they serve only rural parts of the Commonwealth. So. Um, that's a little bit about uh, the PTA member companies. And if we're going to have a big conversation about broadband, what do we have to do yet? How much of the state doesn't have broadband yet? Great question, and that is a question that changes as you define what broadband is. Moving target, and um, you know, I would tell you that there are still pockets of Pennsylvania where uh, folks in are very, very rural parts of, of the state 
and at the end of the line, as we say, um, are still, at least under Act 183, getting 1.544 megabits, and some of those are getting it uh, through a variety of technologies. Uh, the satellite uh, folks are in the, in the space now and doing what they can do to uh, get that speed out to people. I know Elon Musk and his gang is uh, is a very active player, and other satellite providers very active player in uh, in this uh, marketplace, and uh, so we're trying to get that. So it's it's a good question, and it really it really rolls into mapping as well. We don't want to misspend money or misallocate money that's coming down, whether it be in a state or a federal program, into areas without knowing you know who is truly unserved and true who is truly underserved uh, depending on what your definition of broadband is but there are pockets there where um, folks want more and are getting um, getting something less than they they think they need to run a business from home or even just get online themselves um, but i would i would challenge folks to uh, uh, look at what's truly unserved and underserved i think it's a lot fewer um, areas and people, and this is going to be somewhat controversial because there's folks that want it and can't get it will scream, and I understand that. But it's it's not as big a target as you think it is, quite frankly. And that's you know thanks to my member companies. Steve, Art Thomas here with the chamber. Just following up on Mark's question a little bit, maybe pushing you a little harder. Sure. We have what eleven, twelve million people here in Pennsylvania. So you order a magnitude. How many millions? don't have broadband and geographically is it a third of the state that doesn't have coverage because of our forests and wild lands uh well geographically yeah there's lots of areas that don't have people in them art so (laughs) if you look if you look at a color drawn in map you're probably going to see a lot of areas that say they're unserved or underserved but um you know the whole argument is where the people are um and who wants it um if you have a house uh that's on top of a hill and you're three or four or five miles away from you know someone else you're going to have some issues um you know obviously and so we're working to uh <clears throat> get to those people i think that's what some of the state and federal money is is designed to do is to get to those individuals who um you know don't you can't make a business case no matter who you are uh you know my member companies cable guys wireless folks um you know, municipalities who want to enter the fray and provide service. Uh, you know, so it, it's it's hard to hard to say. I've I've heard I've heard numbers. I'm not going to attribute any uh, um, anything more to them than just numbers that have been out there. Um, but it's uh, uh, from our perspective. Um, you know, we're trying to get to to all these folks, regardless of where they live. And under Act 183, we have to get there at least at 1.544. We're the only segment of the industry. That must adhere to that law. Um, no one else has to do it. So my member companies have to put a network in there that makes that service available at 1.544. All right. With um, this, oops, uh, go ahead. Last sentence, Steve, go right ahead. Nope, that's fine. That's fine. With this, we add John Euling to the line. He's a CEO of Just Contrast now. I was th- still think of it as Contrast Communications, but time has moved on without me. They are just called Contrast. It's do IT, data services, voice, phone systems, video surveillance, structure cabling. If you still need cables, he's the, he's the guy to go see. Uh, still uh, thought of as one of the Valley's most forward-thinking companies. And uh, he is a former chair of the chamber as well. So, John, thank you so much for calling in today. We're going to add you to this conversation. 
Thank you, Mark. Good morning. Really appreciate it. When we talk to either you or Steve, we're going to find out that we have a missed opportunity when it comes to rural broadband in Pennsylvania. What is this missed opportunity? Oh, I, th- I think that's open for interpretation, similar to what Steve just suggested. There, there could be some debate. Uh, I, I think the missed opportunity is some of the experiences we've just had over the last couple of years where we, uh, we leverage the capabilities that already exist and change the culture in terms of how we utilize the broadband. Uh, Steve mentioned 1.54. Voice over IP can exist over 1.54. And, and so 20 years ago, voice over IP was available. The pro- one of the challenges is the capacity and the capabilities because it's not just single use for internet and broadband. People are just about anything you can think of is connected to broadband. So the expectation which is, which is, and I agree with Steve in so many levels. However, when you think of some of the alternatives that are, which are coming into the area, it's because, and, and those who are you know, investing, such as Geisinger, investing and donating money to create some alternatives, it's because of the expectation uh, to have significant capacity in areas that are not well populated. Uh, hospitals, education, government, they, they all recognize the, uh, the need to have access um, not just in a place, but to get pe- the people, prioritizing the people, not just the place. All right, well, Bob's not on the line anymore, but we know he's yelling at the radio. Mm-hmm. Ask him how we're going to get this right this year. So we'll ask both of you. We'll start with Steve. Steve, how are we going to get it right this year? <laughs> uh, well, great question. This has been going on, obviously, for a number of years. And quite frankly, we we have some... Um, serious money trickling down from the federal government through a variety of programs, and most recently the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which uh, allocates $42.5 billion uh, across the country through the National Telecommunications Information Administration. That will trickle down to the states, um, and each state is promised at least a floor of $100 million. Uh, sounds like a big number, but this is an expensive proposition, as, as John will probably tell you, to get uh, to get these networks built out, especially if you're doing fiber. Um, so we have a new law in Pennsylvania. It sets up the Pennsylvania Broadband Development Authority. Um, and so we're, we're all hopeful. They met uh, last month and we'll meet again in May. And we're all very hopeful that with the state broadband plan and this money coming down uh, from the feds, um, that we have a framework now where we can do a lot of good things and try and get, you know, get to that last mile, get to those areas that uh, really need it, really want it, and get uh, get everyone hooked up. And it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take accurate maps from the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. It's going to take a lot of work at the state level to get it right. And uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, through this new authority and through having a plan and really focused in on this, that we um, we will have the framework for, for something that could uh, – develop into something that gets uh, gets broadband out to those who really need it. John, your view on this uh, solution that we have to get it right this time? Yeah, I'd say we've gotten it right already, but that would be April Fool's. Uh, <laughs> getting it right this time, I think, is the partnership. So the, the industry, whether it's the cable companies or the phone companies, they have a long history of partnering. There's alternatives out there now with Drive and the economic development um, starting in, in Montour. But one of the things that where we're getting it right is the various counties are working together and coming together collectively. The, history, the, the industry has a long, long tradition of partnering with competitors. So it takes a lot of fiber. It takes a lot of wire to produce a wireless connectivity. And so one of the things we can do right 
which is what the chamber is doing, is they're partnering with the incumbents. As Bob mentioned, the retention and expansion is helped facilitate the existing partners and companies such as the cable companies, the phone companies, to expand. But they all, at the same time, open up the partnerships for the alternatives. Many of the, many of the history behind cable and even the, the, wire, the traditional wireline companies included towers and included antennas and included wireless technology in the early days. So I think it's really around the partnership, even with competitors. Well, uh, John, on, on that note, and, and to Steve, uh, this is Ben Reichley. I, I made some notes, but I'm looking at them. So what I'm getting is that there might not be one technology that fits Pennsylvania or fits Missouri or fits Montana, but th- is it one or two or three or a patchwork of technology, and some of it might be uh, geographic limitations or you know things to those regards, but... The, the, the whole bundle of technology, is it seems like, is going to get a solution to this problem. I, I think you nailed it, Ben. It, 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 it's, it's a collective, it's collecting, a collective efforts of multiple technologies, but ultimately we all need to access broadband. And so it's how do you gain that access. There's, you know, there are wire cutters out there or line cutters that say, you know what, the, the millennials, do I even need a wired connection at all? My cell phone has everything I need. Uh, and so, you know, so that's part of the mix as well. Well, one of the things, too, with technologies, people realize, and, and we're in this little business called water and sewer infrastructure, So, and subsurface infrastructure does mean something. It's just not roads and bridges. But one of the things with the technologies of those products coming out, that, you know, I, I look at security, monitoring for security, monitoring for your water systems, your sewer systems, but the smart cities or smart technologies, broadband allows cities and municipalities, large or small, to take advantage of efficiencies and cost-effective ways that they can uh, serve their communities. That's absolutely right, and I think to Steve's point as well, you know, in, in certain areas it's not as bad as people think it is. It's setting the expectation that says, not just your internet connections, not just your cable, your traditional television, but think of all these devices you have in your home or your business that are tapping. It's kind of like it's kind of like having a leak in a water pipe down in the basement. It's like, wow, why, why is my water bill so high? Well, there are so many devices within your home or your office that are tapping the internet all day long, and so the expectation is, you know, what you also of what exists, you need to subscribe for more capabilities as well. So there's a little bit of that as well. All right, Steve, we'll give you an additional remark, something to add to our conversation today, and we'll let John say an additional comment, too. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I agree with what uh, what John had to offer. You do need a mix of technologies. I think the legislature recognized that back in 2004 when they set up Act 183, which was we could get there, get to folks with the 1.544 using any technology available. And if you take a look at the grant applicants or loan applicants for federal funding now, you'll you'll see a, a great variety of folks in the mix, a great variety of technologies. They all have different uh, specifications, limitations in some case. Um, uh, we're not in a position, nor do we uh, stand up front and say ours is better than anyone else's, but um, we are concerned about certainly using this money that's coming down wisely. Um, that's why I said the mapping is important because you need to have a situation where you can uh, 
make sure you're not overbuilding someone unnecessarily. You know, folks that already have some service from a variety of competitors. So there are challenge processes built into a lot of these programs where you can challenge an application that comes down and um, making sure we're spending the money in the best way we can. But uh, I would also agree with John that, that partnerships between companies and between companies and municipalities and those types of discussions up front saves us a lot of time and effort in some of these challenge processes. And we, you know, my member companies, certainly the cable guys, the wireless folks, all have the managerial and technical and financial expertise to pull off a lot of these builds. Um, and the municipalities that want to be involved, uh, you know, we are we have reached out and continue to reach out to municipalities and other folks um, to help in that regard. So we're looking forward to, as this money continues to come down, looking forward to strengthening those uh, those partnerships with all the parties to see if we can get uh, get the best bang for the buck. All right. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for checking in. Very much appreciated. Steve Samaras, president of the Pennsylvania Telephone Association. John, an additional comment, please. Uh, in agreement with Steve, and it's the partnership between municipalities and existing companies, the likes of the larger employers, and it's opening up the doors for even small businesses to say, uh, your workforce doesn't have to be at a specific place to be productive. And so maybe some of the investments of even small companies is to help support their own employees have access to broadband outside the work, the work office.